We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Don't forget their website as well, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can check out old archived shows there, and you can actually last, or rather, ask a question through the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see Hi. Hey, Scott, good, good morning. morning. We're all surviving and upright and retaining fluids this morning. <laughs> yep, Absolutely. You're looking a lot better, uh, Mr. Uh, Fox. I've almost got most of my voice back. <laughs> I, I, I'm not quite a AM voice, somewhere between AM and FM now. Though. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. We'll let you count. Hey, well, speaking of counting down, I think Andy's got his own countdown coming up. Yeah. Top 10. You? That's it. Top 10. We, uh, as RSPs are just around the corner. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say just around the corner. I mean, RSPs are around us all year long yeah. but we're hyper focused on rsps as we sort of the year has ended and mm-hmm. now we're thinking that last minute chance to get a, a tax savings mm-hmm. to top up our retirement plan for the future as well so and when whether you look at us it's hyper focused yeah, yeah. look at yeah. this this is what hyper focus looks like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely and you you know whether you're a year away from retirement or 25 years away from retirement rrsps are still a critical part of what you're doing and what you need to sort of have a plan or game plan around this too um we've been talking in uh, in our commercials at, at chml about having large rsp contribution room available yeah. and it's overwhelming for a lot of people and and how many of us joke about well I'll never you know I, I, yeah. I can put in 160 grand I'll never put in 160 grand mm-hmm. uh, and and that may that may seem daunting earlier on in your years if you're in your 40s and you're raising a family and now kids you're saving for education you're trying to pay mm-hmm. down the house you're trying to save for retirement but you will find that as you get closer to retirement and the kids have semi left home as your cash flow free cash flow builds up you will be able to do a lot of catch-up opportunity in terms of savings for mm-hmm. your RSP. Promise? Sort of, those last five years. <laughs> those last five years, I tell you. And as we talked about before, too, that in, in some cases, uh, people may have to defer retirement a little mm-hmm. bit. Maybe it's a year or two, depending on that their whole plan and game plan in terms of spending. But uh, So RSPs are still a key thing. And, and trying to maximize, number one, is trying to maximize your savings, your RSP contribution. And as I said, so a lot of us find it we're short of cash how Mm -hmm. do we actually do it can we maximize it and we've talked on the show many times about monthly contributions a pre-authorized contribution or a pack as it's often called and basically these are systematically taking money off of your out of your bank account and they're going straight into your rsp so you don't Mm -hmm. see the money as easily and therefore it's a little bit of pain each paycheck as opposed to having to come up with a lump sum at the yeah. end of the year. A lot of people are members of group RSPs now too. So you're contributing to those throughout the year and you're now faced with maybe a top up or having to make a little extra contribution as well. So one of the, there's a couple of ways that you can do a, a, a quick contribution to maximize that. And one could be a contribution in kind. A contribution mm. in kind is where you have investments elsewhere so there may be a situation, a lot of times we'll see where somebody has a share ownership plan where mm-hmm. their company allows them to buy stock on a matching basis or um, a, or an investment or a savings pl- program. So they've actually accumulated money. Yeah. Maybe somebody that, you know, you've built up money in your bank account. You've built up money in another type of investment. Maybe you've recently inherited some funds. Maybe you got a bonus at the end of the year and now you've got some cash. So being able to, to contribute and maximize is key. 
But a contribution in kind is basically where you would take a stock. So if I was buying investors group stock throughout mm-hmm. the year, and now I've got $5,000 of stock in there, instead of selling the stock, because maybe I want to keep it for future growth, I can take the shares and move them into my RSP. Hmm. And when I do that, two things happen. I get credited for whatever the number of shares times the current market price right. at the time that it's transferred. That That's my RSP contribution. So bam, I've already got a big chunk done and I didn't have to come up with any other money. Uh, but the second thing that's important on these, contrib- these types of contributions is that I'm deemed to have sold my stock. Therefore, if there was a capital gain, I would have to pay tax on that capital gain. But if I had a capital loss, if I had put in my $5,000 over the course of a year and now the stock had tanked a bit and it's only worth $4,500, when I sell it and move it into my RSP, I get a credit for $4,500 but I don't get a credit for the capital loss. Mm -hmm. So you never want to contribute in kind stock or other mutual funds or into your RSP if they're in a loss position. Mm -hmm. So that is the key in terms of this contribution in kind strategy. Only investments that are in a gain would be preferable. Uh, You can borrow. The second way to to top up uh, is by borrowing to uh, your RSP. And that's readily available at all lending institutions. Don and I do uh, RSP lending through our investors group solutions banking prime or prime plus a half you're paying very low interest rates and uh you can even negotiate um you know a payment over 12 months or you can extend it into longer time periods if you're getting a larger lump sum Mm -hmm. uh loan but obviously with with borrowing to invest it's a vicious cycle it's almost like a payday loan scenario where where you you have to keep borrowing to catch up every year and you are paying interest that is not tax deductible and that is a bit of a drag in terms of your total growth so Paying back that that uh, RSP loan as quickly as possible is key. So number two is contribute early. Mm-hmm. And boy, you know it's it's it, it's funny how it doesn't really. You wouldn't think it makes that much of a difference, but we. I'm look crunching some numbers here. The cost of procrastination. If I was going to contribute ten thousand dollars to an RSP this year, if I if I'm doing it. January 1st, so let's say I make the contribution right now Mm -hmm. for 2017. So I'm already in advance by making that contribution. Or do I make the contribution January 1st next year Mm -hmm. in 2018 for this year? Or if I went $833 a month Mm -hmm. over the course of the next 12 months, how much difference could it make? Mm -hmm. Well, on a rate of, at a rate of return of 4.75% over 20 years, if I made the contribution every month, $833, after 20 years, I would have $330,000. Mm-hmm. If I did the uh, the contribution at the end of the year, mm-hmm. sort of the March 1st deadline, mm-hmm. for uh, I would have 334000 mm. And if I did it January 1st at the beginning, I would have 337000 So a difference of $7,000 between doing it monthly versus doing it at the beginning of the year over 20 years. So that adds up too. So anytime you can do it in advance, as early as possible in the year, that's better too. So contribute early is number two. So is contributing early more important than doing it monthly then? If you have the resources to do it early, do it early. Right. Yeah. You're better to do that than spread it over the course of the year. Exactly. Yep. 
Obviously, because yeah. it's working longer for you. It's right. Yeah. That's right. But for some people, we're not disciplined enough, yeah. and that monthly is the is your number one option. Right. right? But right. if you have the discipline and you're watching, you're managing your cash flow well, being able to do it right up front yeah. in a lump sum. Don't borrow to do that. Yeah. yeah. Only borrow to catch up. Right. On right. Well, at the end of the year. Okay. Uh, Number three, and this is one of my favorites, but is to give yourself a raise. And you're giving yourself a raise by recognizing that when you contribute to an RSP, you're going to get a tax refund. Mm -hmm. And that tax refund is just sitting in the government coffers doing nothing for you until you file your tax return and get it back. So one of the things we've talked about on the show many times, instead of giving an interest-free loan to the government, uh, you can file a T-1213, a T-1213, a CRA form that allows your employer to reduce the amount of tax they are sending to the government in recognition of the fact that you're going to be getting that money as a refund anyway. So let's give it to you every paycheck throughout the year instead of as a lump sum at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that takes a bit of the sting sometimes out of the monthly contribution as well. Uh, Number four is planning for two through our uh, spousal RSPs, mm-hmm. planning for two through spousal RSPs. And spousal RSPs are particularly beneficial when, um, for, for example, if one spouse is older than another, because you can continue to do it and future withdrawals are gonna be uh, come out in that other spouse's name and preferably at a lower tax bracket. And that's the other key too, is if one spouse is, it makes less income, significantly less income than the other, then a spousal RSP is a great way to do future income splitting as well. The only trick on this is that there are what we call attribution rules. So you can't put money into a spousal RSP and then take it out the next year right. and have it taxed in that other, your spouse's lower income bracket. It's gonna come back onto your tax return under the attribution rules for two years plus the year of the contribution, so right. almost three years potentially. Now, right. there, there is one strategy that you can get around this a little bit, is you can move the spouse that uh, has the very low income into a RIF and take out the minimum payment out of that RIF. And the minimum payment does start the year you set it up. So if you set it up in December, you can start January the next year, and the minimum payment does not have attribution rules. So therefore, you know, if you if you got this large amount sitting in spousal RSPs, and your husband or wife isn't working and making your little income, there may be a way to get a 10000 or $15,000, depending how much you have in your RSPs, mm-hmm. as an income with virtually no tax. So there might be a strategy there for you. You should really talk to your financial planner about that. Number five is making tax-efficient deduction decisions. And so we often talk about managing your tax bracket. So if you're putting a $10,000 contribution into your RSP and you're in the 29% tax bracket, you're going to save $2,900. If you're in a 45% tax bracket, you're going to save Mm $4,500. So a significantly more amount of tax savings. So if you can can contribute to $10,000, you're not required to deduct it the year you put it in. Right. You can save it because you might suddenly find out, you know what, I'm going to make a lot more money next year. There's some bonuses happening. Things are doing well. I'm going to hold off deducting that until the following year. Number six is going for growth. And and too often, we don't want to see people be too conservative into their RSPs. You know, mm-hmm. These are long-term investments. Being more aggressive in your RSP, it, the difference in terms of a 1% or 2% more return compounded over those multiple years is key. So right. don't go for growth. Don't be too uh, conservative. Number seven is re- resisting the temptation to dip into your RSPs. And so I ran some calculations on this. The cost of a $10,000 withdrawal, if you did a $10,000 withdrawal that lost 
RSP value over the next 20 years at 4.75%, that would have grown to almost 26,000. So really taking out 10,000 today over the next 20 years is a $26,000 decision Mm. in terms of your future RSP. And quickly working through the last couple, I know we're running out of time. So um, number, number eight is making tax efficient investing is the big picture. And that basically is saying that in terms of RRSPs, understanding that, you know, you're, you can, you can make pay less tax by earning dividends and capital gains, special RSP deductions. These would fall under retiring allowances and pension adjustment reversals. These allow you to put more money back into your RSP than your regular limit. And finally, RRSPs and your estate you can, in, in many of the provinces, um, designate a beneficiary so that money flows directly to the beneficiary from your RSP instead of through your will and paying probate tax. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We are planning your financial future. You can call them now and leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. AndyandDon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button or listen to old archive shows. All right, talking about the real risks of retirement here. Yes, we spend all this time uh, trying to accumulate, uh, thinking what retirement is going to be like, seeing these commercials of, you know, mm-hmm. um, great scenes, usually beach or boat or, or ski or, or what have you, of this is retirement. Old people having fun. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, you know what? It's, it is not an event. This is not like you're planning a vacation. It is not this turning point. It, it is a new lifestyle. Yeah. And there's a lot of stages. It's of like adolescence, isn't it? It, it is. It's a full, <laughs> and, and it's stressful. There's yeah, a lot of yeah. stress because it's, it's a fear of the unknown. Yeah. People have been almost in a, in, cons, in a very much structured environment for a lot of years. Yeah. You go from happy-go-lucky till you're about five, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. to school, then to work. And then all of a sudden back to happy-go-lucky again. Yeah. And you haven't done that since you were five years old. Yeah. You know, you get Good these little brief, brief point, you know, vacations where you get to, you know, not have an agenda. And even those f- people have a s- tough time with. Mm-hmm. So there's a, yeah, some, really. <laughs> there's some stages there. And first of all, there's that um, near retirement and what direction do you want to head? And that's a really important time to find out what does retirement mean to you? And not simply financial. There's a lot of people I know personally and a lot of clients that financially could have retired ages ago. Yeah. But that's not what made them happy. They, they get a lot of value out of what they do. And so there's this one quiz we have called a, an, a retirement readiness quiz. And it's uh, right on our website. You're more than happy if you have a difficult finding it on the Investors Group website. Certainly send us an email. We'll send you a, a link to it. And it's really worth your while to take this to get an idea, not necessarily what you're good at. We're all pretty, you know, I'm healthy. I, you know, I do, I got a lot of sports. It's what you're not good at. It points out. Hmm. It says, wow, I don't have a lot of social outside my office. For example, Hmm. most of my friends are at work. Uh, What am I going to do with my time? And it makes you think outside the box of it. So it's a great exercise to do. So that's near retirement. Then there's the newly retired. And that's uh, an interesting time too. That's a honeymoon stage. Yeah. They got Wow, I'm retired. You don't know what to do with your time. Normally, they're the ones that come back to the office to tell their friends how great it is. (laughs) (laughs) 
and they're having a ball. Um, and then you get to the experienced retirees. And this is where they finally, they've got into some kind of routine of what retirement means. And then there's legacy. <clears throat> what are you going to do with um, perhaps the remainder of your life, but also the remainder of your assets? And what are you going to do with those? And, and how do you want to leave those? Do you want to get rid of them while you're still alive? Or do you want to leave um, you know, a major contribution or, or a donation at death, either to your kids or, do, or charities? So this is the transition, but it, it's, it's done over time. And it's, this is a, you got to think how long people are in retirement these days. You know, when the average person living a heck of a lot longer, you can be over some of these different ones over 30 years. And it comes over, you know, when you're nearly retired, you're thinking, okay, this is what I spend and this is what I might spend. But once you get retirement, it's now, okay, well, you're, you you got a better idea of how much you're going to spend every month. Mm -hmm. And so I know when we're doing retirement plans, we go through the current, what your lifestyle is, and your post-working career or your retirement, what we find, what we think you're going to be spending at retirement. And we up things such as vacations. And we lower things such as, you know, if you're spending money on a lot of suits, for example. Yeah. Uh, you probably won't be buying many suits. In fact, you'll probably be selling a few of those suits. Yeah. Um, so going over cash flow. And that's, a, that's an important thing to go over with your financial planners to find out generally what do you think you'll spend? And then, because we have a lot of experience with people that have retired and there's no cut and dry. This is a conversation. A lot of people say, well, you spend 80% of what you're pre-working. Mm. No, 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 no. It is, it is based on you specifically and there's no cookie cutter to this. Yeah. So you go, there's ends up being key retirement go- goals. Once you do retire, first one is making it last and the longevity there's longevity risk. You know, how long are you going to live? And we don't want to run out of money, number one. Number two is maintaining that lifestyle. So you, you know, and, and this is where inflation comes into role. Well, how much will inflation in, impact this? And make sure your financial plan has taken into account inflation. Mm-hmm. Protecting those assets. Mm-hmm. Asset allocation. How do you have your investments allocated so in order to protect them during good and bad times? Spend well or don't spend too well. Meaning, what is your withdrawal rate? And how long will your money last based on that withdrawal rate? Staying healthy, easier said than done. It's some of it's genetics, but part of it you got to work at. Yeah. Now, retirement for some, and I've got a, a, a probably should be a poster child of <clears throat> this is how you should retire. He's never been as good a shape as this. Really? He's awesome. He's now sitting there. People are coming to him at the gym saying, okay, how are you doing this? What wow. should I be doing different? These are 35, 45 year olds. Wow. Good so for him. he is literally the poster child and, and he is having a ball. He's just absolutely always wanted to do more fitness, just workout in the way in yeah. kids. So now he's, uh, he's, it's great. No so, excuses now. No excuse. You got a lot of time. <laughs> and then finally leaving a legacy. So those are the key retirement goals. So if you look at, uh, you know, how long you're going to live. Well, 50% of males will live up a, a, a further than 83. Mm. Half of them. Yeah. Okay, so you might be in the bottom half. Well, then 86 is the number for females. Half of females will live past 86. Now, if you're married, one of you, on odds, will live to 90. So you look at each other in the mirror and say, which one will it be, honey? <laughs> no, you have to, pr- you have to invest for this longevity. Yeah. Don't just 
say, well, you know what, my dad did this, and he or did I don't know whose genes I have. Uh, you know, Aunt Thelma died when she was 65. It doesn't matter. These are the odds. And in sometimes, in spite of yourself, you can end up living a lot longer. And I, I swear, the ones that clients that say, well, you never know, Don, I might not be here next year. Yeah. Those are the ones I hear every year saying <laughs> yeah, me the same thing for exactly. 20 years. Yeah. So you do have <clears throat> to take into account. Now, the other side of this coin is don't underlive. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's that fine line between planning for living a long time and underliving and, and squirreling money away too much so that you don't get to enjoy it. Yeah. Because 58% of people are worried about making their retirement funds stretched for the remaining of years. So it's a huge fear. So what do, what do we do when we're scared? We, we curl up, yeah. we cocoon, and we don't spend the money. And it turns out 64% of re- retirees find it hard to strike a balance between enjoying retirement and making money last. Mm. And this is where, again, having that third party, that financial planner, discussing this with you. Because left to your own devices, it's a tough conversation with the two spouses. Quite often, one of the spouses say, well, we never know. We might just run out of money. So we got to, we, we should not take that trip. Meanwhile, anybody that isn't directly involved in a financial planner isn't, is involved, but they're not living day by day with this, these people. And you're not going to get more active. You're going to get less active as time exactly. goes by. Exactly. So we, we often, I, I've, I've had those conversations getting people to spend a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. And at the same token, I say, okay, hold the horses here. Yeah. So we're, we, we get on both sides to make sure that they will have a great retirement. Now, Inflation is one of the things, and this is extremely important. Inflation is one of those kind of cancers of everybody's portfolio, and it, it sneaks up on you. So if I had to uh, take a look at the 60s, and we're products of the 60s here, Scott. If you had to go to, say, a McDonald's or whatever the chain is at that time. Red Barn. Red Barn was big in Burlington. <laughs> I always liked the Red yeah. Barn. That, that, that was there before I ever saw a McDonald's. That's right. How much did French fries cost in 1960? I would say 25 cents. 16 wow. cents. Oh, I don't know. Good for you, Andy. 15 cents. Oh. How about a burger? 25 cents. Still 15 cents. Sheesh. I don't know what kind of burger, though. Maybe it wasn't the Big yeah, Mac. That's right. Maybe no, it was no. Just a... Yeah. Fish burgers, <laughs> interesting, for 24 cents. Hmm. Cheeseburgers. Well, there's a big cost from a hamburger. An extra five cents. <laughs> One third more for a That's slice of cheese. That's not right. That doesn't yeah. seem. That seems. That doesn't seem to be in proportion. This is something mm. I love personally. How much do you think a milkshake cost back in the sixties? Uh, I'm going to stay with twenty five cents. Well, you are finally close now. Thank you. Twenty two cents. Oh, <laughs> okay. Now that same milkshake. Now, thank God we still had the penny back then. Yeah. Oh, we needed them then. <laughs> yeah. Probably could use half pennies. Yeah. Uh, milkshakes now are two fifty. Cheeseburgers are now at buck sixty nine. So. Fish burgers are three forty nine, more than tenfold. Burgers from fifteen cents to a buck twenty nine, and French fries have gone from fifteen cents to a buck seventy nine. Hmm. On average, over the last fifty years, the prices have tenfold, ten really? times on average. Hmm. So, this is where, and we've had some high inflation years, and low inflation years. Currently, it's quite low, but if you take a look at say two hundred fifty thousand. And you project that out 25 years from now. So if you retired at 60 and you're now 85, okay, your $250,000, because of inflation, 
at even 2% inflation is down to about 150,000. Hmm. Now, I know you're 85, but I already told you that one of the, the two of you is going to live past 90. Yeah. So you have now lost basically uh, 40% of your portfolio due to inflation yeah. simply at 2%. Now, if there was 4% inflation, I'll go to the other side a bit on the riskier side, your 250 is now worth 94,000. Just inflation alone. So if you kept the exact principle, 250, and you spend all the interest, by the time you're 85, you would only have $93, even though it says 250. Hmm. So you, you realize what happens, and, and I'm seeing some clients that over, you know, we, we've been in this business though 31 years, they can feel the pinch. You know, golf fees have gone up. Certain things of that's increased. just not right. Property taxes. <laughs> that's not right, right there. Yeah, property taxes is one I hear all the time. Yes. Or, or yeah. currently, hydro is yeah. a big one. Oh yeah, um, and that's for anybody. So you do have to you do have to plan for inflation. Um, the other one is you might want to put uh, electricity into your uh, into your analysis now, and you know account for that because that seems to be such a big problem with people. Yeah, no kidding. Yes. Yeah. It's like a whole new inflation rate on That's right. electricity. It's another category. I'm going to throw a few, uh, a few solar solar panels on the roof. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, the cost of a retrofit. <laughs> so, and then there, then there is also the poor early performance. We talked about this last week, about <clears throat> the sequence of returns. Right. And how if you have a poor early performance in terms of your returns, it's an uphill battle for your whole retirement. And not that we can control but this, but this is where you're having a proper asset allocation between a guaranteed return investments to your equity performance to try to minimize that risk. And then just diversifying in general. You know, you look at last year as an example, Canada was the best performing stock market. Mm -hmm. U.S. was pretty good too. But then Europe had a minus 4% stock market last year. And certainly fixed income did very poor. If you're in long-term bonds, they were like zero or sometimes negative last year. So the idea of diversifying is there's so many facets, but don't get married to one of them. You know, you get these people right now and they're talking about real estate. Mm -hmm. It is the end all be all. Look yeah. how much my house has gone up. Yeah. There's been no better investment. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, when you work it out. That's always cyclical though, isn't it's it? It's totally cyclical. Yeah. And again, you gotta, it, it doesn't pay an income anyway. Yeah. It's not like you can get a brick every week yeah. to spend. Yeah. You know, you have to earn an income. Yeah. So... Nothing wrong with real estate. It's another asset class. So you do have to diversify. So, and withdrawal rates, this is key. So I, I took a look at a 60-40 mix over the last, say, over 45 years. And if you started with half a million dollars and you started taking out 8% of your portfolio a year, your money would run out in 17 years. So you started at 60, by 77, you're, you're out of money. Now, if you took a 7% withdrawal rate, it lasts you 25 years. Hmm. Okay, so you're up to 85. If you take a 6% withdrawal rate, you run out at about the 40-year mark. Well, that's pretty good. You're at 100. Yeah. Okay, and this is historical. These aren't guaranteed. But it's interesting. The 4% withdrawal rate seems to be the most successful. Of course, you're taking a lot less. And you're sitting there with a $3.5 million net worth 45 years later. Mm -hmm. Now you're 105, mind you. Yeah. Okay. But what that says, it gives you that cushion to increase your rate of return because of inflation. So you're, this does not take into account infl inflation. So by starting off, say, with 4% and moving that number up with inflation, it will probably work out quite well for you. So 
that is extremely important in terms of your withdrawal rate. And there's a lot of people that are taking out 7% withdrawal rates and it's questionable at best because yeah. all it takes is one bad year. And not only is the market down or your portfolio is down, you're also pulling out yeah. quite a bit. So again, the, the health side of things, certainly maintaining your health um, is, is important. You know, probably more, definitely more important than money because yeah. you, you don't have that. You can't really enjoy your money. And then managing. But there's a there, nice thing about money, though, it can buy a lot of those aids that make it a little easier. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, wheelchair ramps would be an extreme or buying those things that go up the stairs, mm-hmm. the lifts, just a little thing. Acorn things. stair lift. Or affording chiropractors or massage therapists or what have you. Yes. You know, watching those people go up the stairs. Um, I want one of those now. Yeah. It's funny. My grandfather was Help 93. Me with the groceries. He had one of those. Oh, really? And we forced him, and then we finally we caught him going down. He wasn't using it. He would put the sack of potatoes on there and walk beside it. <laughs> 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 he would never use it. So. You ever notice that? It that, was a lift. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you ever oh. notice that that commercial hasn't changed in 20? Like, no, my wife and I were wondering, yeah. I wonder if those people are still alive. That's a good it's point, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, it's a fantastic system. Oh, it's uh, a great system, idea. But, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Allows you to live in your house that you're accustomed to, your neighbors, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all those things that keep your stress level down, which helps your health too. Yeah, right. absolutely. Uh, finally, leaving a legacy. More than 50% of Canadians, I can't stress this enough, do not have a signed will. It's bizarre. Absolutely. So there's a, and, and so you want to look at that and what's your legacy going to be, but you have to put it in writing. We're not, we're, you know, your siblings will thank you profusely. You may not be around to hear it, but they will thank you. But you, they, you ought to hear what happens when it isn't done properly. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And you can check out old archive shows or ask a question via the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Maslow's hierarchy, what's this all about? Well, we all studied that in mm-hmm. school, right? And uh, basically the goal was to become self-actualized. Yeah, right. That's that was right. That How was does that work fun- in finance. <laughs> that was the top of the pyramid. Well, yeah. I'm going to skip all the other levels and I'm going to go right to the top. And in the financial world, so we kind of flipped this pyramid over into a financial equivalent mm-hmm. from Maslow's hierarchy of self-actualization. And at the top of the very top of the pyramid, we would have a category called dream money. Dream money. Everybody mm. needs some dream money. Yeah, and dream money is an interesting one. And it's it's at first you might think, oh well, that means oh we're going on a you know a world mm-hmm. tour or something like that, and that's possible. But it's but in the context of Maslow and what you were trying to achieve in terms of self actualization, this is more about really about we call it money for things you've dreamed of being or doing, mm. and. Now, an example would be, and I was recently, um, I met with a client who had retired years ago as a uh, as an instructor at Mohawk College mm-hmm. in the nursing program, and she was interested in creating a scholarship. Hmm. So she had, you know, at the point where she had retired for a number of years, 
her income and her lifestyle was stable. She was doing all the things she wanted to do. And she realized, you know what? There's going to be money left over. Mm -hmm. What could I do with this? And as she thought about it, she thought, I'd love to create a a scholarship, Mm -hmm. a nursing scholarship. So we're in the process of of exploring that and how much would be required and and creating that in her name. And it's, uh, but that is part of what I would call a self-actualization in terms of a dream. Mm -hmm. Um, For some people, it might be a foundation or something like that. We have, I have many clients. I have one client who created a foundation for providing scholarships to um, children in, or or high school students in Jamaica. Mm. So she came to Canada 70 years ago and has been uh, working here and and worked hard, accumulated wealth, and uh, was able to create a foundation. She put in $125,000. And I know last year she told me that was, she was able to generate about we paid out about $6,500, which was three scholarships, which basically paid for books mm-hmm. and tuition for those high school students to carry on into a college program oh, that's great. in Jamaica. Yeah. So really is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, and I think those types of things really do give you a different sense yeah. in terms of what can we do with our money. That's paying it forward. Yeah. Now at the bottom end, and this kind of started, I had a meeting with some clients who uh, last week and they... They had decided in the fall last year, they had they'd accumulated a million dollars of retirement assets and they were still working. They were 55 years old. They had a million dollars and their vision was always at age 60, if we had a million dollars, we would retire. And this was, this was their thought. So I had been introduced to these people and they were, their concern was though that last year they decided to spend 300,000 and completely remodeled their home. Mm. And so now their million went down to 700,000 and they're, they were kind of in panic mode thinking, you know, are we, we've got, we're now we're going to work for the next five years. We've got to put away 60 grand a year for the next five years to get back up to a million dollars. And, and I sort of thought about it, I thought, well, whoa, 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 hold your horses. Do we need that much? What are you guys actually spending in terms of lifestyle? Like, mm-hmm. how much does it cost you to live? And tell me about what your retirement's going to look like. So, as you think about Maslow's hierarchy, we we looked at that from a financial perspective. And at the very bottom, we had to identify what is the money that you have to have just to make men's ends meet. Just to make ends meet. So, this is everything in terms of you know your property, your property taxes, and all the things associated with your property: your heat, your hydro. Um, your ongoing maintenance, your insurance, et cetera. Food, the basics of food and mm-hmm. your medical expenses. Um, and then transportation costs, some level of transportation costs. So you kind of, let's get that covered at the very bottom of Maslow's pyramid, the, your, your, what you need to make ends meet. The next would be the money that you must have in order to meet life's unexpected turns. That's the second level. So this would be things like a, a sudden medical expense, um, a car repair that comes along, um, a home repair or a breakdown of a furnace. So monies that are available to be able to look after that level of need. And then you get into your freedom money, we call that. And the freedom money is really about money that's available to the, the enjoyment and the fulfillment of your life. Mm-hmm. What what would you spend money on to do that? And now we think about car replacement. How often do you replace your car? What kind of car is it going to be? Is it is it a used car? Is it brand new? And uh, so some of that way in, in terms of, you know, how often do we go out for dinner or eat out in, in a given month? These are all part of that freedom money. And the next level is the gift money. And gift money is the money for people or causes that you care deeply about. And this could be 
for um, charitable organizations you you work with closely or believe in strongly, for family in terms of being able to maybe help or support or give back in terms of creating an education fund for grandchildren or something along that line. So that's your gift money. And then as I mentioned, the dream money comes back to those kind of creating scholarships and foundations and leaving a legacy, something that carries on beyond Mm -hmm. and after your death. And so, you know, what what we had to think about for these guys then is is we're going to run these calculations to understand how much do we actually need to save over the next five years to be able to then draw money out and for your retirement and for your lifestyle. And really today, because people retire with a lump sum of money, we have a big pile of cash. Yeah. We have to figure out how do we take that out? How do we convert it to a paycheck every month in terms of retirement? And that's quite different from when our parents retired. Our parents retired with a regular monthly pension check. Yeah. And yeah. it was simple. They knew every month it was coming, every month the same check was coming in. And in terms of their spending, it was very simple for them to understand how much they could spend and how they would enjoy their retirement. So things have changed a lot for us in terms of retiring at, at the boomers particularly. And uh, so having a, a financial plan is really the, the, the key to sort of lifting that stress and understanding how much do we actually need and how much do we need to save and what can we spend and for how long. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. I'm Scott Thompson. And Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We are planning your financial future. And if you would like Don and Andy to help you, you can call them now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. And uh, they can help you with your questions like they do me. All right, let's uh, talk about the purpose of a financial planner. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you go through something like 2016. And this time, a year ago, it would have been about the fourth week in a row of hugely negative yeah, markets. it was a very poor start to Off, the year last year. Uh, in fact, the first <clears throat> six weeks of the year was the worst six weeks in stock market history. Is that right? It was, and they were calling for this this wicked year back. 08, 09 keeps coming back all the time now. Used to be the Great Depression. We don't have to go that far anymore. Yeah. They go back to 0809, and I've, and I've still got clients that's near and dear to their heart about 0809, even though now that is seven years ago, okay? So I remember getting a few phone calls and emails and so forth and responding to these and saying, okay, it's a normal correction. It happens almost every year. Somewhere in the year, it's going to fall around 10%, and it may end up with a negative year. We do have negative years. That's the way the market is. And don't try, and people's human nature is to add, try to create something that's uncertain and make it certain. Mm. The market is uncertain. Yeah. Every year is uncertain. We don't know what it's going to do. Long term, there's some certainty. Okay, there's some very good trends long term that you should average about six and a half percent above inflation in the stock markets. But that's long term. That's like you know, ten year, twenty year, thirty year kind of trends. But day to day stuff drives you crazy. Oil prices, another one. When back in 08, oil prices were like 150 bucks a barrel. Yeah, I remember that. There was people predicting mm. they'd mm-hmm. get to 250. Yeah. Well, the same thing goes when they got down to 25 bucks. There's people saying they're going to go down to 10 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's extremes. Everybody loves to add some kind of certainty to it or, or extrapolate these numbers so that it makes sense in their mind that this is a pattern. Mm-hmm. There isn't a pattern. And what we're finding right now is, you know, there wasn't long ago, a few years ago even, hedge funds were all the rage. Uh, and they really sold them well, trying to get people to put their money in these 
oh, well, you need a half a million dollars. And it's almost like, well, if you have half a million dollars, you're lucky you can be part of this hedge fund. It was almost like a badge of honor that you yeah. could be part of this. And, and you could get into these very, um, very actively managed funds. Now, a hedge fund is simply another form of a mutual fund that often ha has leveraging. So you can they can borrow 130% of the portfolio up to 200%. So they if they have, uh, say, $100 million invested, they can actually borrow another $100 million. And that will enhance the return or hurt it more. But if they're experts, their idea is that, well, we'll make it a lot better. They won't invest in, they can invest probably more in smaller stocks that maybe some mutual funds wouldn't. At the end of the day, they have the whole gamut. They have no rules as the Wild West. Mm -hmm. They charge a little higher fees. In fact, if you do make money, they charge an additional 20% of the profit. So if they make 10%, there's another 2% that goes to fees on top of the management fee, which is usually one and a half to 2%. So very heavily feed. And these things have been trounced now eight years in a row on average. Not every hedge fund. I'm sure there's some okay ones. But in general, these have not done well. So I looked at one that I, I know... Uh, fairly well and i looked at the last six years i said well, i wonder how it did last year it did seven and a half percent i said well wow. and it's two-thirds us one-third canada well this is the year before it did minus 1.6 and the reason it didn't do well even though the us dollar did so well was because it says it hedges the dollar mm -hmm. so i said okay so that makes sense um therefore it didn't do well because it didn't get the 20 percent uptick because of the us dollar this year the, US, the Dow Jones or the S&P 500, the U.S. stock market did around 20%. Mm -hmm. The Canadian stock market did about 22 So since it isn't hedged, this thing should have done in the neighborhood of 20%. But instead, it did 75 It wasn't even close. So I, I dug a little deeper and said, well, how's it done year by year? And it was so it was off of by 15% by what it should have done this year. Um, in 2015, it was actually ahead. It was up by about 3% over what it could have, should have done compared to the indexes. 2014, up about 4. Oh, that seems okay. Then maybe it was just one of the bad years. No, 2013, it did minus 12% compared to the indexes. Hmm. 2012, minus 7. 2011, minus 23. So it had two small wins, a lot of huge losses. And basically, over the six-year span, the client that's in this, if it just bought the indexes, would have had a 50% greater amount of money really? in their portfolio. So the idea of trying, it sounds really sexy, go with a, the tried and true financial plan, cover all your bases as we talked about earlier about a very good asset allocation. So from a planning standpoint, we deal with a lot of different people. And you know, you often hear well, the economy is not doing that well. Well, it's amazing what the news media can twist. There's actually, in, in the last past year, 1,700 new millionaires every day in the U.S. Hmm. 1,700 every year. Now, that means Canada follows some I gotta, I got to move. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be some millionaires coming here every day, too. Yeah. So we, we, we're really, as much as we're doing the financial planning, look at the numbers, the, the balance sheets, cash flow, we're also educators and trying to make sure people understand what's happening out there and, and, and try to sometimes filter that news that they're getting. We're also psychiatrists and therapists in a certain way because this is a very much... Marriage a, counselor? Uh, you know, no, we don't go that far. <laughs> we stop right there. At that. <laughs> but uh, having said that, um, having financial planner probably does help because the second largest reason for divorce is, yeah. is money. Yeah. Um, and so 
looking at this and making sure people don't do the wrong thing because of emotion, that's probably where we add the biggest value is, and that's where the behavior gap of your returns, which is often 40% of a person's return is based on people's behavior with their money in terms of how they invest their money. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting. You look long-term and the U.S. population in the last 80 years has gone up two and a half times. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, well, that's pretty good. Well, the GDP in the U.S. has gone up 17 times. 17 times. So real people's real lifestyle has increased dramatically per capita, per person over the last 80 years. And interesting enough, the stock market itself is so correlated to earnings, it's 95% correlated to earnings. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, forget about politics, forget about the Trump, Brexit, all this noise, it comes down to earnings, almost a one-to-one ratio. And so if you're gonna look at your financial plan, think of it like cooking a turkey. It's got a big turkey, it's five hours, it's 25 pound turkey, you just went through Christmas, you had to cook one of these things. It's going to be five hours. You don't check it every three or four minutes. Okay? <laughs> That's how you should be looking at your financial plan. All right. Now, can I use a turkey baster with my financial plan at all? Or? <laughs> Never mind. Uh, we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks. Scott. Thank you, everyone.